fighter at one time. Is that true? I don't know. I'm going to tell you this right now. If you want to follow Jesus Christ, you better become a fighter. Because if you think it's going to be easy, you're wrong. It's not going to be easy. But um, there's so much. I want to say thank you to the Huerta brothers. Last night at 7 o'clock at night, Jason came, called us up, and he said, I'm really getting sick. I don't know what to do. I don't know if I can come in. And we're like, hey, listen, take care of your health. Stay home. And then, uh, you know what, we called up my wife. My wife, she's, uh, she's the one. She's the strong arm for the Lord. And she called them up, and they were at the youth retreat, and they're like, hey, listen, we need you. We need you to come in and, and lead worship over here at Montclair. And you know what he said without hesitation? He went, Yep, okay. And then his brother joined right in with him. And you know what? I'm going to tell you something. That's the way it's going to be from now on in. God is going to provide. You know why? Because that's what your father does for his children. That's what he does for his children every single time. As long as you trust in him, you keep trusting, keep surrendering, it's going to overturn the day of the enemy. Third, second, uh, second or third, where are we? Um, it was said last week that I'm here for 14 weeks. That's, that's not true. I'm here. I heard from the Lord. I, I, I've, I've learned to trust when I'm hearing from the Lord. I'm not kidding you. He will tell me sometimes. Is anyone forgetful in this house? Well, I forget, like, even like this. I'll put it somewhere, and it shouldn't be. And I'll go, where's this thing at? And then I'll panic. Is anyone else panic? I'm like, I lost it. I need to call someone. And I can kid you not, the Holy Spirit speaks to me even in those times, and he says, it's not lost. Calm down. Go back to what you were doing. You're Every single time. That's exactly what's happened, even to my own kids. So I was here last week, and before I came up, I heard clearly from the Lord, you are here until I remove you. Can I tell you something? That's the way God works. Rarely does he tell you, you're here for 14 weeks, and I'm going to move you at 14 weeks to this place, then to this place, then to this place. He doesn't ask, he didn't ask Israel to jump over the Red Sea. He told them to take one step into the Red Sea. They lacked such faith, they were unable to even take one step into the sea. That's what he's asking from us, one step at a time. So that's what we're going to do together, amen? Okay, let's, uh, let's open up our Bibles to the book of Psalms, chapter 95. That's verse nine, uh, Psalm 95. And what we're going to do is we're going to pray because I need it. Father God, I'm grateful, grateful, grateful for the worship. I'm grateful for the smiling faces. I'm grateful for the fellowship. I'm grateful for those who have stayed on the wall. The ones who stayed their place. They didn't move. They were unwavering. They said, no, I will wait until I am relieved. Lord God, they're good soldiers. And they did a great job. And they're doing a great job. And Lord God, I know for an absolute fact that this is the beginning of something that's going to be infinitely better than we can imagine. Lord, you are a, a, a God of incredible miracles. And the miracle is that you will have your way in this world. And everyone will recognize it. The scripture says, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you are Lord. And that's a promise. And we're trusting you. Okay, so let's read from the very first verse of Psalms 95. David speaking. You know, I, I think this is a, a psalm of Asaph, who was a, uh, he was a Gilgathite. Uh, that's what he did. He was a priest who, who sang songs. He created poems that became sonnets. And it says this, Come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. 
Let us shout aloud to the rock of our salvation. Come before him with thanksgiving, extol him with music and with song. For the Lord is great. He is a great God, a great king above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth, the mountains and the peaks. They belong to him. The seas are his. For he made them in his hands, form the dry land. Come, let us bow down before him. Let us kneel before him, the Lord, our maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pastures, the flock under his care. Today, listen, listen. Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as they did in Meribah, as you heard they did during that day at Massah in the desert. That is where your fathers tested and tried me. They had seen what I did, and for 40 years I was angry with that generation. And I said, these are a people whose hearts go astray, and they have not known my ways. So I declared on oath in my anger that I sh they shall never enter into my rest. That's a, that's a powerful statement. That's a powerful statement. But it goes to the grandness of his plan. The grandness of his plan was always to, to interact with his children by grace. Even the law, if you read the book of Romans, the law's intention is to poke at things that try to cause us to feel that we're okay with God based on our own actions. It's called the love of the law. I love the law because by doing the law, I prove to the entire world and I prove to myself that when I can stand before God at the end of time, I can say, I did what you required. Here's now what you owe me. I know that that's going to be shocking to people. Religion is not man's attempt to get close to God. It's man's attempt to push God off of them. Salvation is not religion. It is literally salvation where I recognize through the law, I cannot save myself. I need for you to rescue me from the innermost to the outermost. Not one percent hangs on me. That's a frightening thing for the legalist, the humanist, and those who are children of God. Because that's what the lifestyle that we're, we're doing. It's a lifestyle of surrender. Amen? Okay, so for the next three weeks, we're going to be looking at the three main components of prayer. Okay, as we look at scripture, prayer appears to be the language of heaven. It says in Romans chapter 8, verse 23, even the Holy Spirit prays with deep guttural moans that human words cannot come close to expressing. I want you to think about that for a second. Deep guttural moans. He's praying with, with this, this, this inner visceral thing. What does that mean? It, it, I wrote down these words. First of all, it's passionate. Two, it's motivated. It is not far removed, and it is not mildly interested. And can I tell you something? In our doubt, in our fear, sometimes we will think that of God. We will think, man, I'm suffering. I'm dying. I'm getting beat up. I'm losing my job. I've lost my health. I'm this. I'm that. I feel I've been abandoned since I was a kid. Where's God? If he's so good, why do I feel this? Why have I gotten such a cruddy job? A very Why have I gotten such a cruddy thing? Why are you telling me God is good? Well, I'm going to tell you something. The Holy Spirit prays for us with these deep guttural moans. That means he is deeply invested in the life of his elect. 
want you to remember that. We're deeply invested. The scripture also tells me that Jesus is my heavenly high priest. That's what he's come to do. He lived the perfect life. He offered himself as a perfect sacrifice. Now he has ascended to the throne of grace where he stands waiting for us. That's what it says in Romans chapter 4, that we can have confidence and come to him because he earned the spot. He purchased it with his blood, with his life, with his effort. With his motives, with his attitudes. And now he stands there and he lives to make, that's what it says. He lives to make intercession on behalf of you and me. Do you know what it means when he makes intercession? The same thing we did last Wednesday. We prayed. We prayed with, with deep moans. We prayed with intense things. And I want you to understand this. It's not as though God the Father is, is God the Son is speaking to a God the Father that doesn't want to bless you. There is no disunity within the Godhead. So this is what is intended to happen in prayers of our high priest. First of all, it tells us that his grace is committed. His love and his favor saves us to the uttermost. Remember this in Ephesians chapter 1 verse 6. He who began a good work in you will see it through to its completion. You don't want to give up because it's not in your new nature. Here. God's prayers on behalf of you and I are intended to strengthen us. They're intended to support us. They're intended to transform us and to align us with God's will. I wrote this down. Why is it important to be aligned with God's will? If God is so powerful, can't he just make things happen? Well, yes, he can make things happen. But this is the way he chooses to work. God has never, read this from beginning to beginning, cover to cover, you will never see that God is a manipulator. He never manipulates his family. Sometimes we grow up, sadly, with parents who are manipulators. Why? Humans are humans. I don't know. I mean, I, my mother was the number one. I loved her. I loved her. But she was the number one manipulator. All I've done for you. You know the pain that I gave for you? My brother was born 12 pounds. She used to rip into him. You know what you did to my body? And it was almost like, okay, well, I'll do what you want me to do. God does not deal with his children as a manipulator, nor does he rule his family with coercion. How does he rule? He rules his family through relationship and influence. Through relationship and influence. He desires to influence you and I into agreement with him. That's how John says this. He says, if you know the Lord, you will not want to disobey him, and, you and the commands of the Lord are never a burden. Well, how is it never a burden when you have to follow a God that sometimes tells you to die to yourself? I'll tell you how. When he gets you to agree with him. It's right for me to die. Can I say that apart from the Holy Spirit? I'm going to tell you no. I don't think anyone can say that apart from the Holy Spirit. It is right for his will to take precedence over my will. So I may fail, but I will not stop. I will continue. I will look for those who will support me and, and encourage me because his will over my will all the time, that's the way it should always be. And that's never a burden. So he, require, he desires to influence into agreement because agreement is the greatest and the strongest motivational bond of obedience. Now write this down. If you're writing something down, I want you to write this. God saves us for obedience. It says it in the opening verses of Romans. He has saved you for the purpose of obedience. Faith in Jesus Christ is meant, the grace that has been given is to bring us into obedience. Will it be perfect obedience? 
No. This side of heaven, not going to happen. The only way we get that is if we turn into a Methodist church. That's what they believe. There's a, there's a doctrine called uh, a perfectionism. But as I read the scripture, in Romans chapter 7, it tells me I will always struggle against this old man. We're told that our flesh is crucified in Christ Jesus. But you have to understand, crucifixion is not an instantaneous death. It takes long periods of time. It is a spectacle. So my flesh, once I believe in Jesus Christ, has been nailed to the tree, just like Christ. But it still talks. It still tells me, don't listen to that. Don't do that. You know what this is going to cost you. Look at me. We can come down from this cross anytime we want. Just say no. But you know what? Because the Holy Spirit is stronger than the old man. No, that's not an option. Obedience is what we have been saved for. Amen? Okay. There's three reasons that we should develop a lifestyle of prayer. I don't mean to be dishonest. But the first reason has three reasons in it, so there's actually six reasons. First of all, it is an act of obedience. When, Jesus in the, in the Sermon on the Mount, he says this, when you pray, what does that mean? It's a presuppositional statement. That means, hey, you're following me, you're my disciple. When you're my disciple, I'm going to expect that you will then act in such a way. He expects his children to pray. Why? We're going to look at it. The second thing, the second reason that we pray is that it's an act of service. If you want to write this verse down, look at it later, or even flip to it right now, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 3 and 4, it says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only as to your own interest, but to the interest of others. I have learned that when God prompts other people to love me with a nurturing love, I feel his love. I'm going to tell you something. I'm not, not going to out anybody, but Julian has been a guy who's kind of come along me. Man, I love to defeat myself. I love to beat myself into the ground. Why? I don't know. I've lived a crazy life, and I just thought I was a scumbag for years and years, and it was a hard thing to get out of my head. And Jesus is like, no, I put that man to death. You're not a scumbag anymore. You're my son, and I want you to live as my son. And he would never allow me to have a negative viewpoint. He'd always go, okay, okay. He would never correct me, never correct me. Who, who really likes to be corrected by another brother? Come on now. Why? It's part of our nature. I don't know. It was just... But he would say this, he would say, no, he goes, I understand what you're saying, he goes, but tell me what's the positive here, where's the positive, where is, where is God positive speaking into your life? And you know what, he, it would always bring me back to this positive, and I could see that it's this positive hand of God working through him and many like him in my life to bring me up, to remind me this is not who I am, I don't have to fall into these things over and over, they've never paid off and they never will pay off. So I want us to remember the reason that it's an act of service, and you were right, I got to be very careful because I could preach for hours. That's not good for anybody. I want you to remember this. Our old flesh wants us to believe if we just pursue our own interests, that will make the difference in our life. It is like chasing smoke. It, will, it is like a dog that chases its tail. You cannot find fulfillment seeking it only through yourself. You just cannot do it. So as I come to him, I see the example. I am loved by him. He says, 
Therefore, now follow my example and love other people more than you think about yourself. That's where you will find life. Abundant life. When it says, when it were abundant, I want you to think overflowing. So this is what God has given us. Okay, third, it is an act of worship. When I pray, this is you and I acknowledging God's sovereign authority and submitting all my concerns to him. That means me, I don't know, one of, I'm, God, I got my faults. One of my faults is I'm a controller. Anyone else a controller here? Come on, man, I do it with my kids all the time. And they're like, no, you should go there, and I'm going to push you if you won't do it. And you know what they do? No, you won't. Why? I did it to my parents. It's part of our nature. I could get out of anyone's hands. Never been able to escape the Lord's love because he's not like a human parent. But I have learned when I do it that way, God will frustrate my attempts. He, he will let me tire myself out. But when I turn it over to him, and you know who taught it to me more than anybody else? My wife. Do you know why? Because she first learned it with me. No, no offense to you women. <laughs> That's always going to be offenseful. When you get married to men, you think to, they got this going on good, but I want to change them. Amen? Hold on. And my wife for years and years tried to change me. You know what you can't do? Change me. I'm like a wild horse, and I will go my direction. And the more you try to put the reins on, I will bite, kick, stomp, run, throw you into trees. And that's what I did for so many years. And you know what she learned to do? I'm going to submit to you, Lord God. I'm going to have gentle responses. I'm going to live in obedience. I'm going to pray for this man more than try to control him. And you know what she did? She got out of the way for God to allow me to burn my hands with my own stupidity. He got me to obey. How? Because I didn't want to obey. And he's like, okay, keep doing it the way you want. I could do this all day. And you know what he finally did? Through my failures, through my willfulness, he got me to places of consistent obedience. Read the book of Genesis. You think I'm making this up? This is not. He did it, and he does it with his family time and time and time again. He changes them, and you're like, how did he do it? Because he's God. When we pray, this is an act of worship. Okay, number two, it is the most effective method of communication. If you were to walk away with one point, I want you to walk away with this. God saved you for himself. He did not save you because he thought, I'm going to get something out of that person, or I really need this, and only this guy or this woman could give it to me. He saved you for himself. Before you were born, anything else, this is not my ideas. This is in the first chapter of the book of Ephesians. This is his word. He saved us for himself. You were handpicked. That's crazy, Tom. I was not handpicked. Yes, you were, because if you were not handpicked, I assure you, you would not be here. There is nothing in our nature, our human nature, that would ever draw us to a Christ that says, come to me and die so that I may save you. There's too strong of a live instinct in us. God saved us for himself, not because of some benefit that you will give to him. He saved you for you to know him thoroughly and completely. Write that word down, K-N-O-W. And he wants to know you thoroughly. You're like, well, wait a minute. God does know me thoroughly. He's God, everything. That's not the word K-N-O-W. 
looks very attractive. And what was the proof? They can be their own God. That's the world we live in apart from grace. Where they say, I have no need for this God. I may not hate him. I don't have no problem with him. But I can be my own God. No, we can't. And Adam and Eve learned that in an instant of time. Their eyes were opened. But did they run to the Lord? Did they wait on him like this with the, the stain of the sin and rebellion on their hands going, what do I do? No, 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 no. You know what they did? They do what everybody does. They tried to cover up the crime. They said, let's, let's cover ourselves up. Why? Now they're exposed. Man, I'm exposed. I can't. I gotta sh And then this, listen to this. This is what it says. In, in, in Genesis chapter 3, verses 8 and 9. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. They hid from him among the trees in the garden. But the Lord called out to the man, where are you? Is that a huge visualization as it is for me? It makes my skin bubble. Where are you? Did God not know where they are? Was he somehow blind to their presence? He knew exactly where they were at. He was saying, I know where you're at. Do you know where you're at? And you know what? They didn't. They didn't know where they were at. They knew they were in trouble, but they didn't know where to get the trouble fixed. We, however, do know where the trouble is fixed. We don't run from Christ. We run to Christ because he chases after us. Here's another proof. It says this in Ezekiel, looking at the day of the Savior. In verse, uh, chapter 34, Ezekiel, verse 11. For in that day, I myself will search for my sheep. I will look after them. How does he do that? He's physically not here. Through you, through you, through you, through you, through you, through you. All we have to do is say, yes, I want to follow you. I want to be your disciple. Use me. Use me for your glory. In that day, his spirit will work inside of us to do the work of salvation on this earth with the Holy Spirit empowering us. His mouth is the one that evangelizes. It's my sister and her brother that prays and he plays the instruments and I could go on and on and on and on. You're not here to spectate. You are here to be a part, a vibrant part. Does God need you like he can't do it without you? That would be dangerous and foolish to think. But does he want to use you? Oh, oh, yes, he does. Yes, he does. It gives him great joy. All right, so this is another thing we need to know. This is a God who seeks us out. This is a God that will not leave one stone unturned for his beloved. You are his beloved. You're his beloved. He beckons you to call, come to him. He's saying, come to me. Come to me. What did he say? All day long, I put my arms out to a stubborn and an obstinate people. Come to me. No, no, no. We'll bring you more sacrifices. No, no, no. We'll do more religious stuff. No, no, no. We'll do this and we'll do that. And we'll paint ourselves up to look real religious. And he's like, no. Come to me. All day long. I mean, it's amazing. As that becomes, I can only tell you what that does in my life. 
as a preeminent thought, as that thought kind of permeates my thought and my thinking, it turns me to prayer. It turns me to him at nine in the morning. It turns to me when I'm getting in the shower, when I'm standing in the shower, when I'm coming out of the shower. Because my mind is sometimes like a dog where I'm like, all right, I'm going for a walk. Squirrel. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Well, that's the way my mind works sometimes. But because God in his grace is working in me, he's claimed me as his own, he constantly brings me back. He constantly brings me back. He encourages me to be around brothers that help me develop patterns. Man, I got, if I had time, I could tell you some great stuff that I've learned along the way. But we'll, 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 we've got a lot of time together. All right, what we know of God will influence how we act toward God. Remember that. It's always going to be that case. All right, there are many people that try to bring God to a manageable level. And I'm not thinking that they do that because they're somehow evil or they're work with the devil, as sometimes Christians can do. I don't believe they're at work with the devil. I don't believe that. What I think that they're doing by bringing God down to our level is trying to open the door really wide so that people can feel comfortable to come in. But I'm going to tell you something. We were created to rejoice in the fullness of God. All of God. The things that comfort me and the things that kind of make me feel a little uneasy. I want you to remember this. When we bring God to a manageable level, it's like eating food that will not satisfy our hunger. It will not strengthen our bones. It's like junk food. You eat junk food, it's really comforting. You're stressed, man, I look for coffee and sweets. But when I eat coffee and sweets because of my stress, and I'll do it, not during a fasting, God, my bones pay a price. My, I ache in my joints, do you? I do. I feel crummy. I'm tired all the time. God's saying, no, man. Listen, when you see me in the fullness of who I am, that you see me in my full glory, that will comfort you. That will nourish you. We were created to rejoice in the fullness of God. Even his name, Yahweh, Y-H-W-H. You know what it means? I am. I am what? He is. I, he's saying, I am your provision. I want to go for He says this, I am your sustenance. I am what you need. He's saying, I am in my fullness your salvation. He has saved us not to go to heaven, but to live with him forever. That means it starts here. I want you to get this. I really want to get it. He's not telling you in his name he brings us salvation or he provides for us salvation. He's saying, I am your salvation. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Apart from me, there is no way to the Father. This puts our level of dependence at a little different level, can't you agree? And that's what this does when we see the fullness of God. It makes us cling to him. Amen? Okay, so let's look at this. This is where it gets a little, we've got about 10 minutes, maybe 15 minutes. Can you stick with me? Okay, who is God? First of all, he is our king. In, non, in Psalms 95, it said this, verse 3. 
for the Lord is the. That is a it is for a definite article of exclusivity. That means he's not just one of many. He is the one and only, the exclusive God above all gods. You get that? He's saying, I am the great God, the great king all, all, over all G-O-Ds, small G-O-Ds. I tell this to people all the time when I go through the blue book. We have not been called to a democracy. We've been called to a kingdom. We've become the follow Jesus as a king. You know what that means? He's going to tell me that it's important for me to do things. And he's not just suggesting. He's saying this is a command. You know, one of the commands that he wants from us is to be in close proximity to him. I know it's easier for us to do this stuff online. It's a period of time. You could do it for a period of time, but it has to be a short period of time. You and I got to be close to him. You and I. You know why? Because I can't grow I've said this before, and I'll say it again. I need you. You need the person next to you, and you need me. We need each other. God is at work in the midst of it all. Okay? So remember that. We've not been called to a democracy. We rejoice because God is our king. I want us to also understand that there's hundreds of thousands of would-be kings in this universe. We ourselves, apart from grace, want to be kings. Does anyone feel that urge to want to be king? I do. I remember one time I was arguing with my wife. It didn't start as an argument, but it was a simple discussion. And she just, she's not me, was thinking differently. And I'm like, these, I, I said it in all honesty, but I look back, I'm like, what a dummy. I go, things would be so much easier if you thought like me. And she was like, huh? Well, no, God didn't get me to marry me. He got me to marry her. Because she was necessary for him to get me to be who I'm supposed to be. You know what I mean? We want to be king. And guess what? Here's the trick about it. If I allow myself to really kind of dig in deep to me being king over me, what I'll do is I'll try to be king over you. That's what we do. That's what we do. We try to, we try to increase our kingship. That's what we are apart from grace. The problem with following any king is because following a king is a serious matter. We must follow a king that has a good character. Our king has a good character. His motives, his attributes must be perfect and are unperfect. His, his, uh, his, his attitudes and his character is unchanging. It is incorruptible. A king of this perfection simply cannot be found in anything that is created. There are people who put their, their faith in jobs. Can I tell you something? We're at a point in time where people are going to find that that was a very foolish thing. You know, I was told when I started with the city, you just keep going, man, they'll have a pension for you. Every year I hear, there's no money in that fund. One day, and you know what, can I worry about it? No, I just got to keep moving forward, trusting the Lord. He told me he was going to take care of me. Has he lied to me? No. So I keep moving. Well, you know what? Anytime we put our faith in anyone but the king of kings, we're putting everything, the vitality of our life, in a very dangerous place. It's like putting it on a, a pass or goal line at, at uh, a, a crap table in Las Vegas. You can lose it at any time. All right, listen. This is the king. The king is the manifestation. He is the embodiment of the character of culture. Our king shapes what we care about most. Our God cares about the well-being of the people around us. 
Jesus got most excited, most passionate when people were being overlooked. They were being mistreated. They were being cheated. He wants us to care about these things. I'm not going to go deep into this. This is what else. He's the one that informs our belief. He's the one just by his character, being close to him, he's going he's to teach us what we really, our core beliefs. He's going to shape our customs. He's going to shape our practices. This is the point that I thought about this. Our king, our God is our king. He is a good king. He is more than a good king. He is a perfectly good king. And as we grow, as I grow in my trust of him, I will grow in my surrender. Let me just tell you this. This girl right here at the prayer, beautiful kid, comes up to me. I don't, I don't even know how to say it. So we had the names of the Lord up here. And she goes, hey, I got to ask you a question. I was like, what? She goes, one of the names of the Lord was jealous. I'm like, what's that? Well, because it doesn't have a good connotation, right? And I go, you love your mom, right? She goes, yeah, you love your daddy, right? Like, what if someone tried to come into your house to steal your mommy from you? And she goes, yeah. Her eyes got like this, and she goes, I feel jealous. And I go, that's what the Lord, jealousy toward his people. When he sees anyone trying to make moves on his people, he's moved with jealousy. When Paul was walking through Athens, he goes, my heart burned with righteous jealousy because these people were going to temples and worshiping gods that weren't gods. And you know what he's saying? Why are they giving their love to these frauds? They're no gods. There's one God, and he's being cheated. So I want you to remember that. All right, listen. We're going to go through quickly, quickly, quickly. This is the word. Quickly, there are 21 attributes of our character, God's character. Are you ready? Here it is. It's coming, coming quick. He is loving. He is kind. He is compassionate. He is giving. He is faithful. He is merciful. He is strong. You know what that means? He is able to persevere. Sometimes we start out strong, but because the person or the thing we're doing is too difficult, we go, that's all. I'm done. I can't I, I do no more. That's not him. He says he will persevere to the end in our lives. He will complete the task that he starts. So he's strong. Here's another one. He's forgiving. He is good. That means he is not ambivalent of our concerns. I remember one time when I was at a meeting. Uh, I'm sorry if I'm going too far. Meeting. And we were talking all, uh, we, we have to dump as, as sweeper drivers in, in certain areas to clean these sections and get it done. And they kept increasing the size of the section so it was becoming harder to do. And then they started to move away from putting these boxes in areas that we could get to quickly. So we're like, dude, you're making our job harder and you're pushing it farther away. It's not going to work. We had this guy who was the boss over all the sweepers come in and he goes, hey, listen, this is the decision we made. At the end of the day, it is what it is. Live with it. And I can remember, I was like, if I knew where you were at, I'd dump my box on your front lawn. And I, that is not our God. He is not ambivalent. He cares about us. We are told by Peter to bring our concerns to him. He is sovereign. He's the final word. He is ever-present. That means he's available. He is approachable. He is our refuge. That means he wants to nurture us, to protect us, to secure us, to make us safe. He is gracious. Here's the best part. In your life, he doesn't want to just bless you. He wants to move beautifully in you so that at the end, you give him the supreme praise to go look what you did. You are absolutely like nobody I've known. One time I met with John DeLong, and I go, you know, I, sometimes I realize I'm just such a screw-up. 
And he goes, but look how far God has brought you. You being a screw-up. Look at how far he's brought you. And all I could do was say thank you. But what we're supposed to do as Christians is to say thank you. All right, we're going to move on. This encourages you and I to linger. That means we want to linger or carry at his side. I want you to think about this in prayer, and this is where we'll end. I want you to think about Mary, okay? Not Jesus' mother, but Lazarus' sister. So Lazarus is dying. They call out for Jesus. Jesus takes three days. You ever think about this? Why did he take three days? He deliberately made the decision. He gets the word. He's like, all right, well, we got to go over here. His guys have learned, don't question Jesus because he's a bad mover, Right? comes back, Martha sees him and says, we, we sent out word three days for you. If you were here, my brother would be still alive. And you know what he says when he goes, your brother's going to live. And you know what she says? Yeah, yeah, I know. At the end of the day, at the end of the time. And he rebuked her. You know why he rebuked her? She didn't. She revealed in that statement she was following him for a prize at the end. And what he was saying is, no, I'm the prize. When Mary sees him, sees him at a distance, it said in the scripture that she was to tarry at his feet. That means she would kind of do one of these numbers. She would just kind of sit and watch him. And the sister hated her for doing this. What? I'm cleaning, cooking, doing all this stuff, and you're sitting here at his feet? Get up and help me. And Jesus is like, no, she asked for the better thing. I'm not telling her no. And when she saw him, she ran to him, and she started weeping. She embraced him, and she said, where were you? Same words. What did Jesus do when she did that? He wept bitterly with her. You know why she did it? She was like, I just wanted you here. If we can think of God, our Father, like this, it will naturally draw us to times of so that's where we're going to end. We don't have a worship team, so if we can all stand up, because they had to go to another place to go worship. This is not going to be the case. Hopefully, we're going to we're going to we're going to work on this so that we always have a team here from beginning to the end. But I want to say this: this is a time. This is an opportunity. Is prayer easy? No, it's not easy. You're going to pray to a God that you cannot physically see. I could see with this guy. I could probably pray with this guy for hours. I could take him to lunch. We could, hang out. we could have a relationship. I ain't going to have a relationship with the Lord like that. I'm just telling you, you ain't either. Why? Because he's not here. So prayer is going to be tough. But you know what, though? When the time opens itself up, he says, seek me when I can be found. This is one of those moments. This lady has a brother who's physically ill. He's been under the gun for four years on the verge of death. Do you? He brings his son. Is there reason for prayer in your life? Is there reason for prayer? You're going to be working with the youth. You better be praying. Sister, you, do we all have reasons to pray? Let's take five minutes right now. Three minutes. Okay, three minutes. Three minutes to pray with one another before we receive our blessing and go home. Let's just do that. Turn to the person next to you, right here, if you could go here, or you could go back here, or how about this? They pray and we'll pray together. For 
for three minutes just praying. God, as, as we wrap up this time, as we wrap up this time, we just want to say thank you. We want to say thank you that you are a God who is our king. We want to thank you that you are a God who is our creator. We want to thank you that you are a God who is our shepherd, our maker. Lord God, you love us like a parent. You know us thoroughly, completely inside and out, Lord God. You have saved us completely, thoroughly. There's nothing lacking in your salvation. Lord God, I pray that you would steady our minds, that you would steady our hearts, Father God, that you would remind us that everything we have is given to us in its sufficiency in Christ. We're told that time and time again. There's nothing lacking. Lord God, I pray for blessing, the blessing of your presence in the home. I pray that you would be the one that would make beautiful harmony between husbands and wives. I pray that you would be the one who would give confidence in the hearts of children. Belief and faith that this is real. A, tr a, a confidence in their parents to say, you know what? I trust my parents. I see how much they love me. I'm going to go in this path because this is the way they, they're encouraging me to go. I pray. I pray for brothers who want to be used by you to lead other people out of places of bondage, Lord God. I pray that this would be a place where brothers and sisters would love each other with a love that would be so apparent that others who do not even know, have not even been given eyes to see you, can see your love at work here. Lord, I pray that these would be a place where the seats would be filled, not so that we could say, wow, we got numbers, but so that lives could be transformed, so that the praise that could be lifted up would be magnified, and Lord God, that you would be glorified, lifted up and praised, and you would bring all men to glory, because that's what you said. Lord, we pray all our concerns to you. We leave them in your hand because you are our Father, you are our God, you are our King, and Lord God, we love you in Jesus' name.
And all the saints said, amen. Okay, guys. Wednesday, remember, if you could be anywhere, Wednesday night is an important night to be here.